Hello, and welcome to the EPC podcast, where we delve deeper into EU affairs and connect the dots between politics, policies, and people. My name is Rebecca Gustemans, and I'm the head of communications at the European Policy Center. When it comes to geopolitics, the EU is still somewhat of a navel gazer. The past decade saw one existential crisis after another, forcing the EU leadership to focus its attention inward. But while the Union was dealing with its own issues, the outside world became an increasingly chaotic and sometimes even hostile place, seeing the return of zero-sum thinking and great power rivalry. The COVID-19 crisis and the economic recession that followed have only emphasized how critical foreign policy challenges are. In response to the fallout of the coronavirus pandemic, French President Emmanuel Macron and German Chancellor Angela Merkel in May of this year announced that they would back a 500 billion EU bond to help with Europe's economic recovery. The historic statement led many to wonder if the previously sputtering Franco-German engine could also force a breakthrough in EU foreign policy, especially since Germany was about to take over the presidency of the Council of the EU. Here to talk with me today about these issues are Jana Puglirin and Ulrike Franke from the European Council on Foreign Relations. They recently wrote the policy brief, The Big Engine That Might, How France and Germany Can Build a Geopolitical Europe, in which they look at France and Germany's potential to cooperate and lead the EU on foreign policy. They base their analysis on the findings of the third edition of the European Council on Foreign Relations EU Coalition Explorer a survey of foreign policy experts and government officials across the EU27 that was taken in March and April of this year. Jana is a senior policy fellow at ECFR and head of its Berlin office and has published widely on European foreign and security policy and Germany's role in the EU. Ulrike is a policy fellow at ECFR. She writes on German and European security and defense, the future of warfare and the impact of new technologies such as drones and AI. She also co-hosts Sicherheitshalber, a German-language podcast on security and defense. Your policy brief draws from the findings of the ECFR's EU Coalition Explorer Survey. Could you explain very quickly what the Coalition Explorer is and, and what the main findings were of this year's survey? Maybe for you, Jana? Thank you, Rebecca. It's great to be on a podcast. So the Coalition Explorer is a biannual interactive tool um, that we use for exploring coalition building in the European Union. And we base it on the results of a survey, uh, which we do among professionals in all EU member states who work on yeah, European policy in a very broad sense of the word, in government, in think tanks, uh, in academia, in the media, and uh, maybe we also uh, get some other people to respond our survey. So basically, we approach the, the bubbles, the policy bubbles in, in the capitals. And what we try to do is to create an, a visual understanding of the views that are held by kind of the Europe's professional political class on who they see as partner, um, who they whom they want to work with. So it's about perceptions and policy priorities. Mm -hmm. And we 
This time we ask about 20 policy areas and um, actually with the coalition explorer we show the potential for future coalition building between EU member states in those policy areas. And we also get an understanding whether um, kind of our experts want to deal with that policy area on an all EU level or whether they prefer to, to work on it kind of um, in a coalition of the winning inside or outside the EU framework. So that's what we basically try to, to capture. And um, so the main results, I mean, they are far too many to present them here mm -hmm. uh, in my first short answer. So maybe only some snapshots. I think the most uh, impressive finding is how much Germany and France are leading mm -hmm. the overall um, chart as the most contacted, most responsive, most influential uh, countries and uh, that they are those countries that represent kind of European shared interests most in the EU 27. So there is a strong Franco-German alliance um, that became again obvious in our survey. But one of the most interesting findings, and maybe we come to that later, is that the French obviously are very disappointed by the Germans. Um, so that actually Germany is the country that French are most disappointed with in Europe, which we thought was kind of a surprise. Um, we also um, thought that the findings of the Netherlands uh, were quite striking because the Netherlands are clearly kind of the third most contacted, most influential, and most responsive uh, member state. So, I mean, after the UK left, there is this competition for a number three in the European Union, and the Netherlands seem to have positioned themselves, uh, yeah, very well. Um, but also, they are also a country that disappoint a lot of other countries. Um, then, the more you dive deeper into the individual findings the more interesting it gets, for example, if you look at the Visegrad, you see how disunited they are uh, on, on some issues, but united on others. And you see, for example, how much Slovakia is an outlier within the V4 um, framework. You see also how much the Nordics are front runners when it comes to environmental protection and uh, the whole climate issue, um, and that they kind of identify um, this as their yeah, priority. Um, maybe Rike has her, her favorite finding. I, I forgot <laughs> it's about defense, and but maybe I let Rike talk about it. <laughs> uh, thank you, Jana. No, um, I, I wanted to kind of underline two points that you touched upon that I think are really important to understand when it comes to the Coalition Explorer. The first is, as you said, this is the kind of expert view. So although um, in the, the policy reports that, that you mentioned, Rebecca, and, and in everything we write, we talk about kind of percentages, um, mm -hmm. but this isn't a poll in the sense of the word that populations are being polled. This is a poll among 800 plus um, experts and policymakers in, in Europe. And so it kind of gives a gives a great inside view. And this is why I really love these results. And I think they're very interesting and, and a great um, addition to kind of public opinion polls, mm -hmm. um, of which there are quite many. And the second point, as Jana just alluded to, um, there are so many results. So I, I really recommend every listener to kind of go on the website and kind of play around with the results a bit, because this is always the problem when you have 27 EU countries. There are so many interesting things um, for every one of those countries, like what does Portugal think on X and who is Greece most disappointed in and these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And there is no way that we can mention all of this in our writing. And I think we're probably going to dive down into the kind of 
Franco-German bit of it um, a, a bit more in, in a second because that's what we wrote about. But yeah, there are lots of aspects that I find fascinating. Um, the number three question that, that Jana mentioned, I think is, is really interesting because France and Germany really are leading in Europe, but who's the number three? Um, and the answer from our findings is, well, there isn't really one, but the the Netherlands are doing surprisingly well. Yeah. Um, that 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 I agree is interesting, um, and indeed on European defense, um, because this is something I look on, uh, I look at uh, quite a lot. I I was really disappointed to see how low European defense ranked in the priorities of most EU member states, other than France, um, yeah. which again is something we can come back to later, maybe. But yeah, there's a lot of things, yeah. a lot of things to discover. So so maybe um, in addition to kind of listening to this, maybe have a look at the the website. Yeah, because when I was looking at the Coalition Explorer, one of the things that really struck me was how big of a consensus there is about the central role that Germany plays in the EU. And it, it reminded me of a, a comment by Martin Wolf, who's the chief economics commentator at the Financial Times. So he said at a recent EPC event, there can be an EU without the Netherlands. There can be an EU without Greece or Italy, even without France, but there is no EU without Germany. So I think that, um, would you agree with that based on, on the survey? Well, I'm not so sure about any <laughs> EU without France. I yeah. cannot picture this, but you are right. Kind of the key finding of our condition explorer this year, but also in previous editions is that Germany is kind of the EU center of gravity. It's the most influential country in Europe. It's kind of 97% of those that we have surveyed agreed with this view um, that, that Germany is kind of the most influential country. Uh, and we see how much Germany is embedded in a center of a web of connections that stretches across the EU. So Germany literally has links to all other EU member states. It's the spider in the web and it's it's kind of, the, I think, I can, yeah, the centrality is really yeah. striking. striking. And also um, compared with the way, the, 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 the lack of disappointment. I mean, there are countries disappointed uh, in Germany, but Germany is... Um, I mean, given its weight and also its influence, I, you could expect more countries to be disappointed with Germany. But I mean, we call it uh, the beauty queen of a European coalition building in our in our policy brief. And I think that is certainly true. But France is really a close second. I personally yeah. was surprised how uh, that I, I think the difference between France and Germany is only 4% when it comes to overall influence. Mm. And although France has seen much more... Um, Critically, uh, I think it's it's really striking how 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 much France is also seen as a leader. That's why I'm skeptical about an EU without France. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely agree with everything that that Jana just said. Um, Germany is definitely at the center of it all, and everyone contacts Germany, but France on pretty much every question is a sometimes very, very close seconds. So I don't really see an EU without France either. The one point that came out in the um, in the Coalition Explorer that I found quite interesting regarding France was our data really shows that France has a kind of Eastern European problem. So mm -hmm. while Germany really is contacted by everyone, works with everyone, is seen as pretty responsive and easy to work with by more or less everyone, with some exceptions maybe, um, with France, you can see quite quite clearly that the Eastern European countries are skeptical, skeptical of what Emmanuel Macron has proposed, skeptical of a number of things. So, so I think there's a bit of a problem there that, that Germany doesn't have to the 
in the same way. Um, but France then is, is quite well connected to the other Southern European uh, countries, such as Italy and, and Spain. But I think that's a, that's a finding that's quite interesting. Yeah. And I think that the, the main point of your policy brief is really stressing that importance of the, the Franco-German relationship. And it has been acknowledged before by many analysts, journalists, policymakers now and in the past. And in recent months, it has again proved to be instrumental for the EU. But why do you think it matters specifically for EU foreign and defense policy and for building um, a geopolitical Europe? Well, I think it matters so much because both countries have flaws and both countries can learn from each other. So I think together um, they have everything it takes to to build uh, or to be kind of the, 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 the pillar or the center of a vivid European foreign policy. But um, France very often, at least if you ask kind of, Central and Eastern European uh, uh, Europeans over does it. Uh, so its its view on Russia is, uh, was very disturbing actually for for those countries, and you see that clearly also in our coalition explorer. Um, so and and also um, on on ideas in, on European defense didn't go down that well in some parts of the European Union. But Germany, on the other hand, is much too reluctant and uh, too hesitant to, and also has these topics not that much on the agenda. That was something that I really found striking, that France is so much more geopolitically aware than Germany and all the other European countries that I think we can learn from France here a lot. Yeah, and I think um, there's a great example right now um, playing out where you can really see where France and Germany can complement each other, and that's on the Mediterranean security situation. So we're all aware that there's this quarrel yeah. between between Greece and, and Turkey at the moment, um, and around and over Cyprus to some extent. And we have, on the one hand, France, which has been quite forceful and in its response has sent military uh, ships and aircrafts down to the Mediterranean, is doing military operations with Greece, so has taken this pretty assertive role, which personally I think is, is good because it, it shows a support for EU member state Greece and EU member mm. state Cyprus, which I think is very important for this kind of geopolitical Europe and geopolitical EU we're talking about. But this is complemented by Germany being much more focused on de-escalation with Foreign mm. Minister Maas traveling both to Athens and Ankara trying to de-escalate and find a compromise. And I think this is actually actually pretty good because it shows, you know, the kind of strength that each country has. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it wouldn't be helpful if, you know, Germany was sending military ships now down to the Mediterranean or if kind of France tried to to play this 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 role of um, um, I don't know honest broker you can maybe call it so I think yeah the, this complementarity and this this possibility to work together is is something that's important and other than that I mean after the Brexit of course France and Germany are kind of the big two standing in Europe so just in terms of kind of economic and also military power these two do do stand out um, simply because of their size and 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 weight and that's why everyone focuses on them as well of course. And just one, one, one small addition, but I think our coalition explorer also shows that if Germany wants to achieve something without the French on board, this is really difficult. And that also goes for the French. So both are 
I mean, Germany is still leading the camp, but because France is such a close second, um, these are basically two giants in Europe. And if they are not on the same page, um, it gets really difficult to push something uh, or to, uh, to advocate for something um, against the explicit will and wish of the other. Yeah. So you just mentioned the, the situation in the Eastern Mediterranean, so the escalating tensions between Turkey and Greece and how maybe France and Germany's approach now are a bit complementary, but also maybe not at odds, but it seems that German is going for a more pragmatic route and that France is more clear in its support for Greece. But do you think that maybe since, um, since Macron's and, and Merkel's announcement in May this year that they would support an EU recovery plan and then also successfully convinced other EU leaders at the EU summit um, at the end of July, do you think that since then maybe something has shifted in their relationship and that, that, that that's having an influence as well on how they view external challenges or the EU's foreign policy because and I'm not a foreign policy expert so maybe I'm not analyzing this correctly but it seems that they were or that they're now for instance um, coordinating more closely on Belarus as well so how do you see that do you see that since this summer under the influence of COVID and and them kind of reigniting their 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 relationship do you see a, a shift there so if you talk to German or French diplomats, they would tell you that kind of the relationship was excellent uh, mm. even before and kind of that the recovery fund is just the result of kind of three years of fruitful cooperation. But um, I mean, my perception was that before the COVID crisis, the Franco-German tandem was out of sync significantly, especially on foreign policy. And I think that ever since the recovery fund both partners try at least to pretend to be more on the same page so they emphasize their unity and they try to kind of paper over the disunity and um but i think this is a good thing so um that's exactly what rika and i call for in our policy brief kind of mm -hmm. the hamiltonian moment basically in foreign policy more unity and and uh, a strong franco-german lead and um, yeah, I, I think you saw that in the last um, press conference in Merkel uh, visiting Macron in uh, south of France, that even if they don't agree like on, on Greece and, 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 and Turkey, they try to find a compromise. And I think this is the right way to go because it would be an illusion to think that all of a sudden all the different perceptions that are really significant when we talk about defense, when we talk about NATO, the kind of view on Russia, on the United States, I think there are significant differences. But I think their strength is if they agree on one thing, they can still bring a lot of other um, member states on board. Yeah, so I think that the agreement on the recovery package was a good good moment for Franco-German relations and it was an important signal. However, I think we also shouldn't overestimate these these moments basically yeah. simply because the Franco-German relationship is always and has always been going through waves. You know, there are moments where they can work together really well and other moments where it doesn't work quite as well. And and after, you know, a few years where there was a lot of disappointment, especially in France, and things didn't seem to be moving and, and all of that. We now have, have a bit of a high moment, and that is great. But but yeah, there will be waves. And, and this is one of the reasons why, although, you know, everyone is always writing about the Franco-German relationship, and one could always think, like, 
haven't we found like the answer yet? And how can you just keep analyzing this? Well, it's exactly because it is a it is a moving um, relationship. It depends on chancellors and presidents and situations and all of that. And so, um, yeah, well, we'll continue um, going through these 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 waves, and that's that's just normal. But but it's always great if they can work together and if they find compromises. Do you also think that? you know, with the, the, the German council presidency now that there is, you know, that there's maybe windows of opportunity or that there's something that they can, um, that they can achieve together to kind of get the ball rolling? Do you see maybe a, a one particular issue on the EU foreign policy field where they can really, you know, get something done? I mean, I think they can not afford not to get something done. I think that the kind of the Germans emphasized very much how much their agenda has shifted due to COVID and that it was a COVID presidency. And, and I think that's really also the priority of the German Council presidency and the recovery fund. And to, it was a priority to get um, the um, MFF, um, uh, yeah, to put it together and to, to get the member states to agree. But I mean, you see it now these days, I mean, the, the, the at the Gymnasium, uh, how much these foreign policy issues just are on the forefront of the European agenda. So we cannot afford uh, not to talk about foreign policy because the situation around us um, evolves quite rapidly and deteriorates the, the situation in, in Belarus, in, in, in the Mediterranean. So I think that um, this navel-gazing that the EU does or did for, for a very long time, um, I think we can no longer afford it. We just need to talk more about foreign policy and find better solutions. Because, and actually this is a, I thought a very interesting quote from your paper, you say that the lack of awareness or concern for the strategic implications of China's rise seems to be the biggest obstacle to a more geopolitical Europe. So... Could you elaborate on, on that maybe, Ulrike? Yes, I think um, China is, is one important uh, challenge in the foreign policy world. And we ask about many, right? We ask about policy towards the United States, um, uh, towards Russia, defense policy, etc., but also China. And what I found was quite striking is that when you look at kind of overall EU27 policy priorities, um, the EU's policy towards China comes out on 12th, uh, rank or place out of 20, which is, you know, pretty low. Uh, it's higher up the agenda by, uh, for both Germany and France, who have it in their top five, both of them, um, although Germany a bit, uh, a bit, a bit further down. Um, so I think we pick China as one example, because this is really a kind of geopolitical challenge. Um, we have a world, a change in, in, in how the world is likely to go over the next few decades with this rise of a more assertive China and the possible decline or at least relative decline of the United States. And, and for Europe and the EU, it will be really important to, to position themselves, um, well, either um, more clearly with the US or indeed as a kind of third power in that. And our sense was that while more and more countries within the EU are waking up to this fact and are having this debate, um, I think the whole debate about Huawei and 5G was one wake-up call uh, that, that showed that this was important. So while this is happening all over, all over Europe, um, we don't really have um, deliberations on, on the EU position so much within the EU itself. And as, as Jana mentioned, so far and our findings confirm that there is quite a bit of domestic navel-gazing, um, domestic mm -hmm. in the sense of internal EU 
Um, so most of the priorities are really kind of internal EU priorities and, and not so much on, on foreign policy. And, and that seems to be at odds with both this motto of a geopolitical EU that, that Borrell and von der Leyen and all the other EU officials have, have put out. And it's also simply at odds with the current situation in the world. We can't just say, sorry, we're busy, world. Um, don't do anything. We need to kind of organize the EU before we can do any anything else. Um, we will have to address these foreign policy changes uh, um, in, at, at the same time. And indeed, I, I hope that the EU presidency of, um, uh, can do um, a bit to, to go towards that direction. Um, but yeah, as Jana said, COVID has has changed priorities somewhat. Um, these presidencies are always somewhat events focus, if you like, or dependent on events. And and I think that's that's just something we have to acknowledge, but we can't drop the ball on, on foreign policy and defense policy uh, just because there are other things happening as well. Yeah. And at the, at the, to end on a positive note here, um, our coalition explorer also shows that kind of when it comes to unity within the European Union or the willingness to act together, I think on China, uh, the results are better than on the US and on Russia. So. Yeah. It seems that there goes a, a rift through the EU, especially when it comes to dealing with Russia. I'm, I'm wondering if now with Belarus and uh, the Navalny poisoning, that has changed, but I don't think so. So you see that the sympathy for the Macron approach of kind of dialogue with Russia yeah. is shared by some member states, but is that, that others are totally opposed. And you see that also on the US, you see, you see different camps, basically, two camps in the European Union. And on China, um, theoretically, I think there is potential for a more united EU approach. Yeah. You just mentioned that there's um, two camps in, in Europe overall in terms of, of looking at US policy. Could you maybe explain that? So how do, do these two camps view the, the upcoming elections also differently? Or when we ask um, our experts in the EU, what the government's preferred outcome was in terms of an approach towards the United States. If Donald Trump is re-elected, you see that half of the member states uh, aim for positioning Europe as third power between the US and China, and others um, say that they want to maintain good relations with the US and, but prepare for disengagement, and others say um, they want to maintain a strategic bond with the U.S. on security. So you see um, how much the European member states diverge, because there are some countries that even with Donald Trump would argue for uh, broadening the strategic bond with the U.S. Uh, beyond securities. Another interesting quote that I found, and I think that Ulrike already made some allusion to that um, in, the, in the previous answer, was, um, so the quote goes, in the coming years, European states might have to choose what is more important to them even more often, EU unity or Europe's ability to act. And I think that also reflects partly the thinking behind the coalition explore, because it's about finding... Um, groups of, of member states, coalitions of willing countries who are prepared to work together on certain uh, foreign um, and defense policy areas. 
But do you think that there's also a possibility that only you know going down this route of differentiated integration or only having certain coalitions that that can also undermine EU unity? Yeah, I mean, so unity and ability to act should, of course, not be seen as a dichotomy. It's okay. not either or. In the ideal world, it's both, right? And yeah. I think Jana and I would both both agree that in an ideal world, the EU27 would be united and that would make them even um, stronger and even more able to, to act. I think that's very clear. However, our point, and you were rightly pointing out that that's partly behind the coalition mm -hmm. explorer to begin with, is that 27 is a lot of countries and on many things, pretty much on any um, uh, policy area, there are different interests at play. And if we try to have unanimity on everything, uh, there is a big danger that nothing will get done or that indeed we come to the kind of lowest denominator on, on everything. And we've seen this many times in the past. And so I think what, what we are trying to encourage um, isn't, of course, you know, not trying to find unity, um, but, but is a kind of bigger willingness for smaller coalitions to form, to go forward on a number of things. And also for some countries to kind of prioritize what's really important to them and on, on and stepping back on others. Because if you're saying, okay, this isn't maybe the perfect uh, or the, the way I would do it, but it's not that important, then you could let a coalition um, of others act in, in, in this area. And I think, yeah, we, we, we see um, with all the challenges we have at the moment and also how fast things are moving that, that trying to find a unity among 27 for everything is quite often not not doable, and I think a broader acceptance of that um, may may be good. And this, to some extent, at least in my mind, is a bit of a message to the Germans as well, because Germany um, very often tries to get everyone on board for everything, and this is totally laudable. Again, I'm not saying this is wrong, but we've also seen in the past that that sometimes it can just water down certain things and. Because it's my area of thinking of, of European defense here, of course, but but sometimes I think it's better to say, why don't we have a coalition of those that are willing and able to do something? And it's fine if you don't want to be part of this, as long as you, uh, you know, not standing in the way, and as long as this isn't something that's super important um, to you. So I think I think Berlin may take this to to heart as well. I think that would be useful. Yeah. And I think this uh, whole topic merits another policy brief um, because it's, it's I think. That was just a side um, aspect in our policy brief, but if you think of uh, formats like the Normandy format or the E3 format, um, they have started as yeah coalitions of the willing, sometimes even outside the EU framework, but then um, they have benefited the, the EU foreign policy as a whole. And it was later possible, um, at least for the kind of E3 and the uh, di the dialogue with Iran to, to integrate it somewhat um, into an EU framework and to, to make links to uh, debates in the European Council. And I think um, it is not that Rika and I are advocating for um, coalitions of the willing um, outside the EU framework that would then undermine uh, European cohesion, um, but we think Sometimes it's about output legitimacy, kind of to, to get to, to get something done and to make a difference. Um, and, and and I mean to if the EU or some member states kind of make a difference in 
a conflict somewhere. This um, is also beneficial to the overall uh, legitimacy of EU foreign policy. And so I think that um, we should have less of a normative approach here. Yeah. Okay, well, um, before I let you go, um, I want to imagine yourselves to be foreign policy advisors to Merkel and Macron. And Yay. to think about <laughs> to think about what would you advise them to make sure that the momentum of this renewed Franco-German relationship is carried through in, in EU foreign policy? So, uh, I mean, I think that I would definitely encourage um, Mrs. Merkel to uh, not declare, as Rike has written, mission accomplished, but to, yeah, to, 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 to move this up on the priority list mm. and to dedicate more time and energy to that very crucial topic because I mean regardless how the US election um, will end and who becomes president this will be one of the the most important topics I think for the future of the Europeans and yeah yeah I think that's a good one so if I was to advise Paris or Macron um, I think I would say I think it would be good if Macron or France try to reach out a bit more to Eastern Europe. As I mentioned, France has an Eastern Europe problem. This isn't exactly new. Um, and Macron, while to some extent he's made this worse with some statements, has also tried to reach out. So so um, I think it's important to mention that. But, but yes, so I think um, trying to also explain better to the Eastern Europeans what he's trying to do, I think would, would be important. In general, maybe trying to explain some of, of his geopolitical thinking more, or in fact, maybe make a few less um, or make fewer extreme statements. I mean, you know, <laughs> as, as policy people, we love less interviews. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so as kind of you know, experts or, or, or common people who comment on these things, we love the the brain death uh, type type statements. Yeah. But I've I, I, I've seen that especially in Berlin, this often doesn't go down well, and is is quite often misunderstood. Um, sometimes I feel deliberately. So, so maybe dialing down a bit on on that, but dialing up the explaining of the thinking, which I think quite often is is, is very good and has very good analyses, uh, would be quite helpful and. Yeah, with regard to what, what Merkel or Berlin should do, I, I agree with Jana on the priorities. Um, and in general, and this is something I, I've been advocating for, for years, um, I think Germany as a country just needs to have more geopolitical discussions, even just in the broader public. This is something we're really bad at. We rarely think about this. Um, Germany tends to be very status quo focused, um, both the governments and the populations uh, because you know everything is great why should we change anything um, and I think it's important to to have these debates more and, and think about geopolitical changes and acknowledge them and, and think about Germany's role in them so that's a bit of a, a bigger point but that's that that would be um, helpful and I'd love to, to see this thank you again to Jana and Ulrike for sitting down with me today their policy paper and the ECFR Coalition Explorer are available on the ECFR website, www.ecfr.eu. Tune in next time. Until then, over and out.